If you're late to the game and uh, just heard the phrase, be Christmas this morning, I uh, just want to reiterate what uh, Pastor Garen said. It's just way, a way that we can be Christmas to someone else. To look for creative ways, ways that we can bless other people during this season. Uh, an idea that popped in my mind, and, and there's been lots of ideas. There's life groups that are doing things, and there are families that are doing things, and individuals, and sometimes they just come spontaneously. I went to go, try to go to a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and I was wearing black and I went to my closet for my black shoes, and that's what you're supposed to do, they tell me in fashion, uh, when you're wearing black. I looked for my black shoes, and they were gone. And a friend of mine, who will be nameless, broke into my, well, he was invited to my house, but broke into my room and stole my black shoes and resold the bottom of them. Because he noticed in a meeting, I would prop my feet up, and on the bottom, my soles had holes in the bottom. And so he went to my house and stole my shoes. Uh, but that's what Be Christmas is all about, is blessing others in creative ways. And I know God's going to give you opportunities to do that this week, this week. We are in this series, Be Christmas, and we're looking at different characters within the story. And I just invite you this morning to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage of scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, it's going to be on the screens uh, I just encourage you to find it maybe in your, in your Bible or in your, your Bible app there as I read along here. This is Matthew 2. We're going to go 1 through 12 here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called them together, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. A couple of years ago, as a staff, we wrote Advent devotionals. Like every day, we, each staff person would kind of take a day, and we wrote these devotionals. And... I find my, found myself in a little bit of trouble after I wrote one of my devotionals. I've never really kind of been in trouble as a pastor, but I was a little bit in, tr- in trouble because at the time I had a baby in the house, and there were these Christ- there's this Christmas carol, and, and, and as I'm thinking about it, I can't even remember the exact wording now. It was like, no crying, he made the baby in the Christmas carol. And I'm thinking about my child at home, and I'm thinking about the fact that Jesus became one of us, and I thought to myself, there's no way, there is no way that if Jesus was really like us, that he was a baby, there's no way that he wouldn't have cried, because I had been hearing a lot of crying during those 
those days and those hours. And so I wrote this devotional about how there's some things about the Christmas story we maybe kind of, I don't know, take for granted or we just assume happened because there's this popular culture and there's songs and this, all this kind of gets mixed together and we, we just assume certain things. And so a couple of people didn't really like my approach. Uh, maybe it was slightly snarky, uh, I admit, after the fact. Uh, but in one of the things I pointed out was the fact that you know, we talk about the three wise men. Did you hear anything about the number three in anything we just read? No. We, we don't know how many wise men were there. We do know there were three what? Gifts. Exactly. So we kind of make the assumption. And we also have heard this song, We Three Kings. Now, I, I know we, we have a kind of a kingly uh, top on, on one of these, but did it say anything about kings here? No, didn't say anything about kings, but that's a song, and it's just kind of been a part of, uh, of the story. And there's a lot of things probably we could probably pick apart, and that's not my point this morning. But, but my point is this, is that there are some things about the wise men, the magi, that we don't know. There are things that we don't know, but there are things that we, we, can, we can learn from them, and we can grow from them. There was this, uh, this book that came out a couple of decades before, maybe you got it, it was uh, by Robert Holgem, and it says this, all I really needed to learn, uh, I learned, in, or to know, I learned in kindergarten. Did anybody get that book? Uh, I've read some sections of it, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a cute book, there's some things that he shares that about what he learned in kindergarten that are good life lessons, here are a couple of them, uh, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, it's a good lesson. Uh, clean up after your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, wash your hands before you eat, this is good, flush, you can do that before and after, wash before and after, uh, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you, can I get an amen, here's the best one, take a nap every afternoon. That is a game changer, folks. Pastor told you to take a nap. Every, wouldn't that be amazing? You take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Goldfish and hamster and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. And so do we. Hmm. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words, they will break our hearts. Hmm. It's pretty good. So I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, as we're looking at the wise men this morning, there are some simple things I think we can learn from the wise men, very simple things, but I, I think they're pretty profound. All I really need to know, I learned from the wise men, if I could call it something this morning, as far as a sermon title. All I, I ever needed to know, I learned from the wise men. I'm going to just drop a few on you. You can take some notes if you like. They're, they're real simple things. The first one, we know this. The wise men followed the star. We got that. They followed this star in search of Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, did you guys see the super moon that was out? Did anybody go out and check that out? That the moon, it was, I mean, a lot of you guys posted pictures on Facebook, and you're like, the moon is bigger, and be, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I did not take this picture. I, I got it off the Google machine. Um, 
But I was thinking about how beautiful the stars and the moon uh, uh, were going to be. And I, I've really been thinking about having these moments with my, my kids and my, my son. I said, I want to have this great moment with Noah where we're going to go outside and we're going to look at the beautiful stars and look at this super moon. And we're going to just have this awesome time together. So we go out. It was a beautiful night. We go out on the trampoline in the backyard and we're laying down, you know, just side by side looking at the stars. Had this app. Have you seen that app where you can look up and you can see the constellations and the, the different patterns? Amazing app. You should check it out. And we're looking at this and we're talking about the moon. I'm trying to explain to him the, the man and the moon in the face. And, and he's like, Dad, I don't really see that. And I had to like, it, it took a long time, but we, we tried to, to get through it. And it was just a beautiful time together. And then all of a sudden, we just heard this noise. And it was... And, I, and we looked up about 10 feet from us. I thought, well, it's probably just a cat. It was a possum. <laughs> and he, possums are just mean animals, by the way, all right? They're just mean. The eyes are scary. And so, and, and I kind of shoot him away a little bit. And uh, we're still having this moment. And, said, and, and Noah turns to me and says, Dad, I got a question for you. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a God moment here. He's like, do you think that possum can climb up on this trampoline? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, Dad, I think we need to go inside now. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so we went inside. Uh, I love moments when you look out and there's this awe and wonder of the things that we see all around us. Uh, Fulgham in his book says this, be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and plant, and the plant goes up, and nobody really knows why or how, but we are all like that. This, this wonder of creation and awe. An American hero uh, passed away this week. John Glenn, an astronaut, senator, uh, seemed to just uh, be larger than life figure in our, in our history. He was the first man to orbit the earth back in 1962. In 1968, six years later, on Christmas Eve, the crew of Apollo 8 with astronauts Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders, they, are, they were broadcasting to the country. In fact, I think at the time, I'm not sure if it still is, this was the most viewed television broadcast in American history. And this is what they sent out on Christmas Eve, 1968.
pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I was talking to an engineer friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the role of science and about the things that we can see out into the universe and amazing things like the, the, you know, the Hubble space uh, craft that is sending pictures to Earth now and about the things that we see inside of our bodies and how detailed and intricate the details are of, of creation. And we were talking about how there are people that, that for some people, that kind of drives them away from God. And, and, and he was testifying to how this is actually, this has only drawn him closer to see that a creator made such detail and such amazing and wonderful and awe-inspiring things as we see all around us. And, and I think that the wise men knew this. God is at work in mysterious ways. And there's sometimes, even for us that live so close to NASA, we can lose the awe and the wonder and the mystery that there is in God. Where is that verse found, by the way? God works in amazing and mysterious ways. You know that verse? It actually is not in the Bible. That was a trick question. <laughs> That's something we say a lot, isn't it? Because I think it's true. This, this verse, though, is in the Bible. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, in so many ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I think the wise men would tell us, don't lose the awe and the wonder of God, not just in the big that's out there, but in what God's at work and doing in us Every single day, he is present. He is in this room today. He speaks inside of us, and he speaks all around us. The next thing I think that the wise men would, would kind of tell us from this and simple thoughts, the wise men were seeking Jesus. Kind of a duh there. <laughs> the wise men were seeking Jesus. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They were seeking God. There is a, a great verse, 20, Jeremiah 29, 11, that's become very popular. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. Maybe that's a great verse, but a couple of verses later, I think, is, is even, even more amazing. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. God wants to be, he wants to be discovered by by us. If you look at, there's a book that came out a few years ago, uh, several years ago now when I was in college, uh, Experiencing God. Maybe some of you read it by Henry Blackaby. And he kind of gives a, a kind of a formula for this in, encounter and in, in, in experiencing God. And, and, and you can go back to that little diagram. I'm going to try to explain it to you really quick. I, I can't explain the whole book to you or, or the thoughts from there. But basically what but Blackaby says is that God is always at work around you, doing amazing things. And, and and kind of in this diagram, it just shows God pursues a continuing loving relationship with you that is real and personal. And he invites you to become involved with him in his work. There's this invitation that I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through our circumstances, through the church, through other people, through various ways he speaks to us. And he reveals himself and his purposes to us. And there is this invitation for you to work with him as he is a leading. And in that invitation, there is this moment of crisis where you have to make a choice. 
And you kind of see that throughout the Bible where these crisis moments where you have to, to decide where I'm going to go my way or I'm going to go God's way and, and as, as he's leading us in various ways. So then you have to adjust your life if you want to really be a part of it. You have to adjust because our way is not like his way sometimes. We have to adjust to what he's doing and then obey and experience what he has and what he's doing. And I, and I think the irony of this story with the wise men is this. Just five miles away, these guys, most scholars tell us that they think that the wise men came from Babylon area, maybe, you know, the, maybe Persia. They think between 900 and 1,000 miles they traveled to get to Jesus. They follow the star, 900, 1,000. They did not have Southwest Airlines back then, folks, okay? Uh, so be it by camel, maybe, but somehow 900, just, just ponder that for a second. That's like us, let's, let's take a trip to Charleston, South Carolina, okay? Let's just take a little walk to get there. It's going to take a while, isn't it? It's a, it's a lifetime journey, journey of sorts. And five miles away, just five miles away, the leading chief priests and religious scholars were in Jerusalem. And they totally missed it. Totally missed it. Totally missed it. I, when I was a kid, I heard this story, or I thought of it this week. And I don't, I don't know if it was a preacher story or a real story, but it's, it's still, I think, it's a good one. Uh, the Prince of Granada is a story about the heir to the Spanish throne. And he was, for whatever reason, he was forced into solitary confinement in, in Madrid's ancient prison known as the Place of the Skull. And for whatever reason, he was forced to live there for the rest of his days, and he was only given one thing in that time, a Bible. He was given a Bible. And they came in after he had passed away, and he had taken some kind of writing utensil and scribbled on the wall a few things. This is what he wrote. Psalm 118.8 is the middle verse of the entire Bible. Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. Fun facts here. Esther 8.9 is the longest verse in the Bible, I did not know that. Esther 8, 9. You can look that up right now if you're, if you're bored. Uh, no word or name is in the Bible that's more than six syllables can be found. Um, but what's interesting about these weird fun facts that he wrote down on the wall is that no one has any record of whether or not he was a Christ follower or not. Whether he was a Christian. In fact, there isn't that record. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can know a lot about God but not know the heart of God. Did you know, this is, I know this is crazy, you can go to church all your life and not know God. And not know God. And so the challenge, I think, with just experiencing God and, and, and the wise men seeking, and what we're seeing here is, is this desire to want to, to be in his presence and to know God. I want to know God. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to have a close, personal relationship with him. I believe personally that every person in the world should have a, a one-look, 3 a.m. friend, okay? Now, what do I mean by that? A one-look. Like, if you have friends that you just have to throw them one look, and you can, like, have a conversation in that look, okay? Like, m my wife and I can have one of those. I just will send her one look, and it's just like I've so told her a paragraph with that one look, okay? Something goofy will happen. Somebody will say something and do that, something, and I'll just go... And, and there it is, 3 a.m. Everybody needs a friend that you can call at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's, you know, 3 a.m. and something's awful happening and something terrible, and you get that call, and you know the person, that person you're calling is going to answer that call. 
Everybody needs that person. God wants to be that kind of person in your life. He wants to be that one look, look kind of close friendship and connection that, that you don't need any mountains moving. He speaks to you subtly in ways that you pick up on what his activity is in the world, what he's up to. And you can call him at any time. That kind of friend, that's what God wants from us. The wise men, they stop off in Jerusalem and they find themselves in the palace of King Herod. Now, just a quick history lesson. King Herod, there's lots of Herods in the Bible. Uh, Herod, uh, uh, Herod Agrippa, I think Herod Antipas is another one. This is Herod the Great, okay? Herod the Great, I know that you're really interested in that, but he, during that time, he was actually half Jewish, and he was appointed in his position by the Romans. And the reason why he did is because he was so political in nature. Like, he played the system. He, was, uh, he cozied up to, to Roman leaders, and he pulled in chief priests, and these chief priests were basically selling themselves out because they wanted to be a part of the, the power situation that was happening there in Israel at the time. And so he was so ruthless and so sought after power and, and people serving him that he was a violent king. He killed, he killed several of his ten wives. He had three of his sons killed. He had his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law killed, and his, one of his wife's grandmothers killed. In fact, Caesar Augustus, we know him from the story as well, he had this quote about King Herod the Great. He said this, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Mm. That's how ruthless Herod was. And so when the wise men show up to the palace of King Herod, what happens? He called together all the, pe the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and Judea. This is where the prophet had said, he says to them. So Herod, he called the, magi, the magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too can go and worship him. You can kind of just hear it dripping out of his voice when I'm sure when he was saying it. Did he have any intentions, desires to go and worship? No, absolutely not. He was going to eliminate the threat in his life. Everyone has a king, and they may not have a crown on, but everyone who is someone or something, everyone has something in your life that you bow down and you worship. Every person does. And for some, it's addiction. Some, it's you're worshiping fear right now in your life, and you are bowing down to it at every corner. For some, it's a person that you are so codependent on that you follow their every order. Who is it that you are bowing down to? Because the wise men, what did they do? They bowed down, bow down to King Jesus. They bowed down to King Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this book, uh, an Andy Stanley book, The Principle of the Path. And the, 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 the simple statement of that book is this, direction, not intentions, determine your destination. Directions, not intentions. You can have the best intentions, but your actions determine your destination. And that's what I would, I would tell us this morning. Actions, not words, indicate what king that you serve. They indicate what king that we serve and, and who we bow down to. Herod proved his actions later on in, in that he sent out, when he figured out that the Magi had tricked him because they basically told Mary and Joseph of, of, of Herod's plot and desires. And they were secretly went away another direction, and the Magi did as well. So Herod sends out this decree to Bethlehem to kill all of the kids, all the boys, two years of age and, and younger. 
ruthless, but he would not bow down to anyone except for himself. You see, James 4, 17 and 20 says this. See, so you see, faith by itself, it's not enough unless you produce good deeds and it's dead and it's useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't show that you have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And I think, just like Blackaby described, there are moments in our lives, there are crisis moments that kind of prove who our God and who we're really, who our king is in our life, whether we, we bow down to him or we don't. When, when God prompts us to do something, when he tells us to, to say something to someone, when he asks and, 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 and kind of pokes us to say, you need to ask for forgiveness for someone, you need to go and talk to someone, you need to encourage this person, you need to maybe give something. I, I was at a tree farm a couple of years ago uh, with Noah again, actually, and uh, we bought this live tree, and I was going through this conversation in my mind where this tree, and, and I, I can't even remember the tree farm we're at, we're just thinking, man, these things are expensive. Uh, they're just very expensive. Next year, I'm going to get a fake tree because I'm just tired of paying 60 bucks or for a, a, a tree that lasts three weeks. I was going through that conversation in my mind. Have you ever been there? And actually, I did get a fake tree the next year. Uh, and so I, I'm paying for this tree. I'm thinking about all that. This guy comes out of nowhere and is like, hey, let me help you get this, you know, help me, let me help you get this tree to your car. And he's just like over-enthusiastic guy uh, that wants to help. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, if he comes to help me, I'm going to have to tip him on top of the 60 bucks. No one of you would ever think that. But I'm thinking that kind of, that's going through my mind. And he comes and he helps him put it on top of the car and we get ready to go and and, and he's still on the other side of the car, and I reach in my pocket, and I pull out a $20 bill. And there was this distinct moment that I had within five seconds, a conversation I had with God. And the conversation went like this. You need to give that money to that guy. You need to give that, you need to give that $20. And the conversation for me was, no, God, I just gave 60 bucks for a tree. Like, is there a two spot anywhere in my pocket? And I had this moment, it was, it was a crisis moment. It was a small one, yes, but it was a crisis moment. And I pulled the $20 out, and the minute it hit his hand, and he looked at it, because that's what you do when you get tips sometimes, because I work for tips, is you have this kind of moment, he just stopped. And he gave me a look, and we had a conversation in a few seconds. And it was a huge blessing to him. And I'm not telling you that to give me any kind of credit at all, but that's what God does. We have these little moments, and you... It's a king kind of moment that we have. And sometimes they're as small as that, and sometimes they're huge in life. The, the wise men, they were filled with joy. When they found Jesus, they were overjoyed. Let me tell you what the Greek is here for this. It's M-E-G-A-S, joy. You know what that word is? Mega. It was massive joy. You can't even put it into words, that kind of joy that they had. They had to use like four Greek words to put it all together, the kind of joy that these guys had when they found Jesus. Can I tell you something? I think there's an epidemic problem in our world. Christians are way underjoyed, okay? I know some Christians that are the, the, the saddest, most depressed people that I, I know, 
How can that be? How can that be when God tells us that we should find our joy in him? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. The Lord has done the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God has given us a joy in him. And I don't think it should be dictated by the circumstances of our life. Can I confess, and maybe I'll just confess for, for all of us today, sometimes I get too locked in on the stuff and the circumstances of my life and the, maybe the people that are bringing discouragement the joy is sucked out at times of life instead of focusing on the one that I should be. There was a video, I love this time of year because it's like the end of the year wrap-up session for, for everything, I guess. The best of comes out, the funniest videos. There was a video that went mega viral, I guess. I don't even know what the phrase is. It's the, I think it was the, the most watched video on Facebook that's, that's ever been seen. You know what the video was? I bet you remember it though. This lady right here. Do you remember Chewbacca Mom? <laughs> you can fade it out there. This is going to shock you. She's a worship pastor at her church in Texas. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Now, why would, why would 160 million people plus watch this? Because people are looking for joy. They're looking for joy. They're not looking for gloom. They're not looking for people to pick apart everything in the world and to see what's wrong with the world. They want to hear what's, what we believe in, not what we're against. They want to see. People want to see, and they're drawn to the joy that's in the Lord in us. And I think that that's exactly what the wise men had that day. Brene Brown says this, there is no joy without gratitude. There's no joy without gratitude, and maybe there is a correlation to our gratitude meter and our joy meter in our life. Maybe we should see and appreciate what God has done. We're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, the angels, they come to the shepherds, and what do they say? I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. A Savior has been born. We have been saved. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, that should provide all the joy of your life. Eternity has been decided when you put your faith in him. Your sins have been forgiven. Your past is gone, people. What? What joy that brings us. And maybe we should just take a look at the things around us and just appreciate them a little more. The wise men, they had joy, and guess what? They had gifts. We know that part, right? They brought their gifts. They gave their gifts to Jesus. Now, the gifts were what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's been a lot of theories on the, the wise of, of, of what they bring, they, they brought to Jesus. Some say, you know, the gold was because he was king in his kingly uh, position. Frankincense, because his priestly role. And uh, others have talked about myrrh, and maybe you've heard that about being a burial spice, and that it was kind of foreshadowing of what was to come uh, for Jesus. And I just, this is a total side note that wise men, if you are a wise man in the, in the, in the room today, you still uh, come bearing gifts. And I would encourage you to do that in the next couple of weeks uh, if you have someone that you love. But, but God gave gifts as well. He gave his son. For God so loved the, the world that he gave his only son. 
And I think he wants us to use our gifts as an offering as well to him in the kingdom of God. Romans 12, 1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You have gifts and abilities, and I am grateful. I look around this church, and I see all the ways that you are giving and serving and investing in kids and loving others and and welcoming and greeting and living in community with others. Thank you for giving your gifts and, and, and being a part of investing in the kingdom of God. I just I, I thank you for that. These, what scholars believe is this, that those gifts weren't just an accident. That, in fact, the part about Herod coming and the foreshadowing that he's going to come, and, and, and Mary and Joseph were poor. And so these gifts, many people believe that these gifts were given so that they were able to escape. They could afford to escape to Egypt so that baby Jesus was to be saved because of the gifts that came. Now, I've got to show you something. No, we're, we're getting to the end here, but sometimes God kind of shows you something new in Scripture, and, and I need to show it to you really quick, and then we're going to wrap up. Daniel chapter 2, it's not on the screen, so if you have any kind of Bible with you, if there's a Bible all around you, I need you to, to turn to Daniel chapter 2, if it's on your phone. Everyone jump there with me. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, and uh, then we're going to wrap up here. All right, so we don't know exactly where the wise men came from. We knew they came from the east, but I, I saw, I heard a theory uh, this week, and I, I think it's pretty amazing. Daniel chapter 2, if you're familiar with Daniel, it's a story about uh, the people in captivity. They're in Babylon right now, and Daniel, and remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the whole time period here. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. He has a dream, and he, if we're in verse 2, it says he called the magicians and 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 enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers, these, these star watchers. And he demanded them to tell them what his dream was all about. So tell us what the dream is. And he threatened them, if you can't tell me what my dream that I had is all about, then I'm going to, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. Another ruthless king that was, was there. So the, they try to tell him what the dream means, and they really can't figure it out. In fact, in verse 11, it says this, the king demand is impossible, they responded. This is impossible. We can't tell you what this dream means. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. Catching it here? They don't live among the people here, that, this, this god so Daniel hears about this, and he was actually grouped into this wise man group, and he was going to be killed. So the king sends his second-hand guy to go and get everybody, gets Daniel. But Daniel went home, and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what had happened. He urged them to ask God of the heavens to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Bethlehem. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised God from heaven. He goes on to sing a song, and he sings things like this. He reveals, God reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what lies in the darkness, though it is surrounded by the light. And he goes on to praise God. He goes to the king. He says, king, stop. Don't kill the wise men. Don't kill the wise men. I can tell you what your dream is all about. In the next several verses, he goes on to describe this is what your dream means because God told Daniel what it was all about. And then in verse 44, it says this, during the reigns of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. This is the the end of the dream. That 
that there will be the, all these different kings that will come along, but there will be one king. There will be one king that will come along that will never be destroyed and never be conquered. It will crush all the kingdoms into nothingness and will stand forever and ever and ever. Do you hear what he's talking about, this king that's to come that will stand forever and ever? Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn incense. He says, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Go down a couple of verses. Daniel is placed in charge of the area of, of Babylon, and he has all the wise men under him, under him, hundreds of years before Jesus comes, and then there are wise men years later that are coming from the east, and they come to visit Jesus. Because of Daniel's obedience, something amazing happened through some wise men. I kind of like that theory, because I think God uses us in mysterious and amazing ways in doing what only he can do. The wise men, the last thing is this, they were on a mission. They were on a mission from God. They were going to to worship God and to do what only they could do. I think, folks, that every single one of us are on a mission, a God-ordained mission, a mysterious mission that only he is fully aware of, and we are trying to be obedient that. He is at work in the world, and he has called you to the exact places where you are for a reason, and he is calling us as a church, to do something amazing. I've been praying and seeking God in these last couple of weeks and and have some folks around me, and I am so excited about where God is leading us in the next year. But everywhere it's leading us is at this place, that we would go and we would be obedient to him, that we would stretch ourselves and do things that are beyond our comfort to, to be a part of what God's doing in the world, to spread this good news that we have a Savior I want so desperately to see lives and hearts change for the kingdom of God. And he wants you to be a part of that mission. He wants us to be solely focused on the mission. There was these words that he told his disciples, and I don't think they were just for the disciples. I think they were for us. And you know this, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that is a lighthouse into our community, into the world, into the spaces that we go to, telling people about this good news everywhere we go. And so this is going to challenge us into the next year. And on your seats, you've got cards. And we're kind of uh, beginning to to establish a culture here at HFC. And we're going to talk about it in January a lot, but we're just going ahead and get started because we feel like God is leading us this way and we want you to be a part of this. Christmas Eve this year, it's the same date, it's December 24th. Uh, For years, uh, we have done one service. As God's been leading us and calling us, very distinctly, he has told us to have two services this year. Why? Because we're not going to be able to fit the people in this room. This week, this week, I felt this whole time, and I don't know if you heard me mention this last week, I was set to talk about shepherds today. But I got to be about Thursday afternoon, I went to Garen's office, it's like, man, I just, I feel like this message is directly for Christmas Eve. 
So Christmas Eve, we're going to share a message that, that our God comes into messy places, that our God comes and does amazing things through our lives, and he's come to save, and he is for all the people, for all the people. So what about the cards? You need to be in on this. You need to invite people to come. You need to come expecting that God's going to do something amazing in our midst in those services. I need you to pray, not just for me and what I'm going to say, but that the spirit of the living God, the same God that made the stars and the moon, the same God that, that works in mysterious ways, will be in this room, and he'll work in hearts, and he'll change lives. And we don't want it just to happen that night. We want to be a church that does it all the time. So here's the challenge. You got cards, and we're going to have more cards next week, so don't think this is it for you, okay? I don't want you to just invite people. Like your, I want you to invite your friends, and I want you to invite your family. This is an easy opportunity to invite those folks that you normally would invite. These three are people that you wouldn't normally invite. These are people that you work with. They represent different people. I want at least one of those cards to represent someone that you're going to come in contact this week, and you don't even know when it's going to happen. It might be at Starbucks. It might be a situation where you say, you know what? I want to buy the drink of the person behind me, and I'm going to give them a card. I want to be a blessing. Maybe it's a tip. Maybe whatever it is, God's going to give you that opportunity. Be in tune with him this week and invite someone to come. He's going to do something. He wants to do something in us and through us if we're obedient this, not this this week, but all the time. So this is who we're going to be, not just for this season, but the, the seasons to come. Would you join me in that? Would you be obedient to where God's leading in that? I want to pray for us. And uh, when we do, we're, after that, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing this, the first song that we sang this morning because I think it's a song that's Expect it, hoping, believing, and knowing that God wants to use us and work in us and through us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done for us. God, fill our hearts with joy and gratitude. Lord, help us to appreciate and to, to remember. To remember that every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has a past. Every single one of us has been hurt and hurt others. But because of your great love for us, because you were Emmanuel, that you were God with us, because you died for us, we have been saved. And we have a Savior. It's Christ the King. God, I pray for anyone in this room that has not bowed down to you, has not given their heart to you. And as they are in their seats right now, as they are spending time with you, I pray that they would, would confess their sins to you. They would ask for forgiveness. Lord, they would ask you to come into their heart and their life. Lord, I pray that as prayers are going across this room, Lord, that knees would bow down in hearts saying, you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. God, I pray for people in our minds that come right now, people who don't know you yet, family members, sons, daughters, cousins, coworkers, people that we come in contact with every day, Lord. We pray for salvation to come. We pray for transformation to happen in houses and lives and hearts and in families, Lord. Lord, may it be so in us and through us, God. 
Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory because it's because of you. We thank you for these things in your name. Everyone said amen. Would you sing with us? You can stand. Amen. You can stay standing. I wonder if one of these cards represents a Geraldo. I wonder. Who could it be? Who could it be? Could it be? Would you, uh, we have a, a benediction. It's actually a prayer this morning. And would you just say it with me as, as we look to the screen? And as I'm saying it, you can just say it to yourself or out loud. May we live like the wise men with awe and wonder, bowing down to the one true king. May we live with joy and hope, not just during this season, but every season to come. Father, we desperately want to see hearts and lives, what? Transformed for the kingdom of God. May you go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.